So we have, you know, dozens of heaters and different types and depends on whether the wind is blowing or, you know, it's crazy what we have become professionals at. Welcome to Food on the Table, a podcast that brings you behind the scenes to meet the people who drive the food industry and keep our communities fed. From restaurant owners to food critics, food tech entrepreneurs to hunger relief nonprofits, these are the stories of those who are working hard to put more food on the table for all. Andrew from Gift Meal here. I sat down earlier this week with Aaron Teitelbaum, owner of the Herbie's and Kingside Diner slash Kingside After Dark family of restaurants in St. Louis and Clayton, Missouri. He'll tell you the word of the year has been pivot. And while in December 2020, we're not out of the woods yet, with a ton of planning ahead, he's been able to keep pivoting in the right direction. From the beginnings of Herbie's 15 years ago to the human and business challenges of today, it's a big story in a short time. Thank you for joining us. And oh, listen in to hear a sciencey trick with water that Aaron's doing at Herbie's for sanitization. Aaron, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Andrew. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Before we dive into the current situation, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your background and what led you to Herbie's and Kingside Diner? Sure. So I have been in the restaurant business most of my life, and I moved back from New York in 2003 to open Monarch Restaurant. That was my first restaurant here. And while operating and owning Monarch, we were approached to take over, well, buy out of bankruptcy, the old Balabans, which is now Herbie's. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to bring that back to life back in the Central West End. Um, And now it's taken on its own life. You know, Herbie's is is no longer um, known as about, it's known still as as being part of Balaban's history, um, but we are Herbie's and we're located in Clayton now and we're just more of, of a, a brand that is is known with St. Louis history today. We've been around for 15 years, so we've been around for a little while now and we've created our own branding and um, it's exciting to have seen that restaurant grow and become what it is. You know, I'm proud of the transitions and the evolution and the family that that Herbie's is, and it's just uh, an interesting, eclectic world that Herbie's creates. And then, when did Kingside Diner come to play? My first Kingside, the one that's located in the Central West End, that's part of the Chess Campus, which is what I created that brand for, was was the Chess Campus originally. Uh, was created in 2015, hmm. so it's about five years old now. So that brand uh, we created as a companion to the Chess Campus, and it has now grown into Kingside Clayton, which opened about a year and a half ago. And um, now we're moving the Central West End location into the gambling space. Uh, we'll actually hopefully be breaking ground on that in the next couple of weeks. So um, it is just, it's a brand that's creating itself. It's, it's like nothing I'd ever imagined it to be. I thought I was creating this brand to help the chess campus. And with like chess grows, so does uh, Kingside. It's pretty exciting. And for people that haven't dined at other location, what type of food is at Herbie's and what's at Kingside Diner? 
So Herbie's is modern American cuisine, you know, with French overtones. But we give we give a pretty fresh palate there um, to our chefs. They're allowed to really take it and make it their own. It's kind of neat. It allows Herbie's to recreate itself whenever there's a new chef. It allows it to become whatever chef is at the helm. And currently, Chef Bill Cawthon, who has such a diverse culinary background, um, has anything from these house-smoked chicken wings all the way up to this amazing sous vide poached halibut that um, you can really get a variety of food there. Uh, so Herbie's is really very eclectic, as I mentioned. And then Kingside is, is our diner brand. It's, it is breakfast and lunch. It's elevated breakfast and lunch cuisine, um, but it's done at diner prices, which is very exciting to me. My executive chef there, Eric Prophet, has created this amazing breakfast and lunch following. It's it's just it truly amazes me on a on a weekly basis the amount of people that come and return and come and return to Kingside Diner for what he is producing. Him and his his the general manager there, DJ Holmes, just have created this this environment that is unmatched for employees and guests. The nighttime concept that we opened in Clayton first, which is our Kingside After Dark, is a more elevated more elevated diner cuisine. Um, we're bringing that to the new location in the Central West End, and we'll take it even up a little bit more with three or four entrees, several appetizers, and more evening cuisine, along with our breakfast and lunch will be offered throughout that as well. So we have two brands that run under Kingside. We have Kingside After Dark and Kingside. And so it's just, it's really comfortable, but exciting cuisine. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And as you're looking at further growing and developing these brands, I mean, the pandemic has really kind of hit the restaurant industry hard. Can you walk me through a little bit what the roller coaster has been like for you and your restaurants throughout the various stages of the pandemic? So I just had a meeting with my team at Herbie's, my top two, my general manager and my executive chef about that today. And you know, the roller coaster has been a lot. And uh, especially at our county restaurants, which, you know, are currently shut down for indoor dining, you know, our city restaurant is operating as as normal COVID operations go, you know, um, minimal capacity, but safety, but our Clayton ones, you know, we spend our time building a team and creating a family environment and, and we build it up, then we break it down and then we build it up and then we break it down. And it is, it's just exhausting for them, especially, you know, for me, it's exhausting because I get worried about paying for my employees and, and supporting them, not, not the actual process of physically paying them, but being able to provide them enough jobs. Mm -hmm. um, but my, my team has this emotional roller coaster of, of creating their teams and, you know, at, at being able to build them up in these COVID times and bringing them back on to payroll and then having to shut them back down off payroll when these new restrictions come up. And not that I blame anybody for that process, but I, I do feel the pain that my team goes through with that. So the biggest part of that is that roller coaster of, of, uh, of bringing people on and off of, of unemployment and work and um, how we're going to coach them through being able to pay their bills um, and, you know, when we can bring them back and how we balance ours. So that's the most difficult part from our standpoint. It pulls on our heartstrings and our emotions. From an operational standpoint, you know, we spend a lot of our time 
in you know the new word for 2020 is pivot you know we're, we're pivoting on a, on a daily basis and we're in conversations constantly of you know what do people want to take to go you know what are they going to eat to go how do we keep our tents warm and safe at the same time and you know we started that conversation in august in august we started preparing for the winter um, we didn't see this letting up and we weren't going to live in in denial that it was and so we rented our tent you know by the end of august so that it would be installed by october one um, and we've been purchasing and renting heaters since then so we have you know dozens of heaters and different types and depends on whether the wind is blowing or you know it's crazy what we have become professionals at you know we were not professionals at you know how do you refill a propane tank most efficiently you know how do you handle propane in cold versus warm and how do you handle firewood and who has the best firewood to keep our fire pits going and how does the firewood burn i mean it's unbelievable what we have learned you know all the way to you know uh, does this wood smoke as much as others so that we're not smoking out our guests? And how do you balance the amount of wood on the fire to to keep the smoke going as minimal as possible? And um, so that's what we've become professionals at in terms of uh, COVID and and uh, what our our roller coaster is. You know, I have one guy, building manager, that runs around all our restaurants and provides propane. You know, his main job is taking propane to the most economic propane refill spot that we can find and keeping those tanks filled. And that, that job takes place every day, all day. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. So the roller coaster is about, you know, how do you, how do you keep the finances as, you know, minimal of a loss as possible? That's all we work for today is, you know, how do we get to as close to break even as possible, not make money, but how do we get to as break even possible? Um, until some more government funding happens, and how do we um, serve our guests safely? You know, that's um, that's been a lot of it. So I don't know the the roller coaster. It goes on and on and on and on, and yeah. we've learned to live in it. You know, we've we've accepted it, and we learned to live in it. And I don't even know what what restaurant life would look like without it today. Yeah, and speaking for the safety precautions, I remember seeing a video of you very early on in the pandemic, showing that you guys took a step back to temporarily close and then reopen once you figure out safety precautions. What are those types of safety precautions that you have put into place? And which of these strategies have you found to work well in terms of adapting to still be able to serve guests? Sure. So right, service now is is not just food and uh, and serving to food, drink and service. You know, right now the the to me, the strongest form of hospitality is safety. Um, you know, how do we treat you safe? Um, and people look at, many people look at that first. So even in our tents, you know, we have glass partitions, plexiglass partitions between each table. So not only do our tents have two open sides on every tent, we have heaters in them and we have, so we have airflow, heaters, and plexiglass partitions between each table. So that keeps, you know, people as safe as possible. That's what we do for the exterior safety, along with, of course, you know, the standard we wear masks. I'm, you know, we're, we're in masks all the time. And um, we have a water treatment system that drops the level of pH in water to 2.5. So it turns water with a low pH level into sanitizing solution. So that is on our, all, at all of our restaurants on the water systems. 
And so instead of spraying down tables with chemicals, we spray it down with all of this, um, these solutions. We wash our hands with them so our hands don't dry out. Um, it doesn't leave an odor. So when guests are dining, um, they don't have the odor of sanitizer. We spray our guests' hands with it so that their hands are, are, are clean as, as well as they don't have the, the, the smell that affects your dining experience. Um, and, so our, and so our employees use it, our guests use it. It's, it's located everywhere. It's been branded as medical grade water, um, but the simple solution is 2.5 pH water, um, which kills anything better than, than, uh, than sanitizing solution. Then we also have um, air purification units in all of the restaurants. Um, they're either done as filtration systems or standalone filters. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on the location and how how we have availability of it, plexiglass at our bars. We have partitions between the bars. All of our di- all of our dining is socially distanced at a minimum of six feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you eat in our dining rooms, you're probably closer to ten to twelve feet apart with plexiglass partitions. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in most of our restaurants, nobody's eating in dining rooms today. But when we were, we were we were at that. We adhere to every every uh, rule that is put in place by the county or city. We do not fudge on that. We make sure that we are um, playing by the rules, whether we agree with them or not. That's, you know, our position is, you know, we are part of the solution, not the problem. And if people tell us to do something, we just do it. We do it. Um, So that's, to me, that's a safety precaution. That's part of our safety standards. All of our employees go through a health checkpoint uh, when they come in the restaurant. The back door has thermometer, sign-in sheets, and health questions that they all have to ask and answer. What else? You know, I, I think I think that's it. We have a COVID policy in, in play, you know, um, a written policy in play for all of our employees and have. These have all been in place mostly by since March 9th. That's impressive. I mean, you, I mean as you were listing all those things off, it's just kind of going above and beyond for making sure that the guests are feeling safe. I guess from the business side of things, what have you found to be effective to drive some traffic in orders in order to kind of keep the business going during this time? Mm -hmm. So the early planning was very instrumental to that. So the planning for the the tents and the heaters because they're hard to get now and they're expensive to get. So that early planning was very important to us and and we jumped on that early. So from a business standpoint, you know, um, having conversations all the time kept that dialogue in place. That's part of it from a standpoint. And so that keeps guests coming back and that keeps guests feeling safe. And they think we are one of the safest places because they hear us talk about it. So from a social media standpoint and from a PR standpoint, we're in the forefront of everybody's mind of being safe. Mm-hmm. And we're we're willing to put our necks out there and talk about it. Yeah. Um, so that that is a business strategy. I mean, you know, that it was important for my employees to hear it, and it was important for our guests to hear it. So, because mm-hmm. when our employees were coming back, they were anxious, and so they needed to feel safe too. Mm-hmm. Um, we are constantly looking at what our menu looks like from a to-go standpoint, mm-hmm. and that is exhausting when you are looking at serving guests in-house. Um, and giving them an experience and keeping it the to-go menu pretty much the same or similar from being able to control labor. So if we we want to keep our our menu streamlined and our labor streamlined so that we're not bleeding money, mm-hmm. I tell my team always, you know, I don't mind if you spend money, just don't waste it. 
you know, I don't expect you to hit our normal percentages of prof, not profitability, what we call it prime cost, which is, you know, um, what our labor, food, and beverage costs are, you know, all the things that they are responsible controlling. Mm-hmm. We, we run on percentages and, you know, I don't expect them to run those same percentages, but don't waste money. That's all I ask. And so those, those business principles have, have shown to be very effective. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our staff is constantly given those numbers, our management team is. And then we also create stability. You know, I'm, I, I stay committed to my management team, I, you know, that I will keep them paid and employed um, as long as they do what they do. And I'm willing to, you know, fight for that and, and committed to doing that. And, and I understand not everybody can do that, but, you know, we've been working hard to be able to do that. So that's our practice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really working hard at, at keeping our um, guests in tune to what we are trying to do so that they can support, you know, pushing mm-hmm. gift card sales and um, things like that are very effective. Great. And as you've been such an advocate for restaurants in St. Louis and taking all these precautions, how have you found the community response to been in terms of the community getting behind to support you? Amazing. Like I couldn't ask for anything more from our community. Mm-hmm. I am, I feel so blessed to have amazing clientele that, you know, are willing to come in and tip heavy and come back again and again. And um, we know we're not the only one out there that needs support. So when we get the support, we're grateful. And I, I, I literally could not ask for anything more from our community. Um, they're, they're, they're showing up um, and they're, in the beginning, it was hard. You know, it was hard to tell people what to do. Like, we are not used to telling customers, you have to do this. Um, we're usually yes people. Mm-hmm. And so there was a learning curve in that, in that action of saying, you know, you need to wear a mask. You need to, you know, sanitize. You need to, you know, wait longer for a table. And you have to wait over here. And all of those things, there was a learning curve in, in kind of educating our community on what we were doing. And, mm-hmm. and for the most part, I would say that everybody was really great about that. And now they have just taken it as, as part of the uh, experience mm-hmm. and they've been accepting of it. Yeah. And I think when anybody goes to Herbie's or Kingside Diner, they can see the work that you guys are putting into it and everything as well. And so then they kind of have that expectation for themselves to meet that too. And I think that people are really grateful for you allowing them to have that type of experience, whether it's for the takeout or for outdoor dining or indoor dining when permissible, really helps people psychologically to have a little bit of the sense of normalcy too. In terms of kind of bridging the gap to the end of the pandemic for the rest of the restaurants in St. Louis and yourself included, what type of assistance from the county would be most helpful uh, for the restaurants and how can people in St. Louis that want to support restaurants help with that? Sure. So, you know, I do plead with, with people to support restaurants that are following guidelines. You know, I think that is important to not have the, the gap of um, the divide of giving people the choices to make their own decisions. So first I think our community could support restaurants that are, that are following, following the rules. I think that's important. Um, that gives us a voice with the county. If we're divided, the voice is really weak. And we need help from our county. And the things that, you know, come to my mind that I want to ask the county 
And I don't know how they work or if they're feasible or whatever, but the things that I think of are, you know, sales tax relief, you know, giving us, you know, letting us collect the sales tax and keep it to help support our staff. Um, you know, I think that's a simple way to do it. I think property tax abatement um, are things that they can do. Licensing fees can be um, waived or deferred. Um, I think more notice on announcements would be better for us so that we can prepare, not giving us a day or two notice and then saying, here it goes. And I get the, the situation is fluid, but I, I, I'm pretty confident that this is not a decision that's made overnight. You know, I think giving us a, a little bit more heads up, even if it's not publicly, would be helpful. Um, and help us get to the federal government, because we all understand that this has to be a federal government um, bailout as opposed to local. But local can give us partial breathing room early on and allow us to have help for our employees. Mm -hmm. um, so I plead with our government um, to be thinking outside the box, you know, mm -hmm. um, think about, you know, when you're going to give restrictions, give solutions to. Yeah, that's a really great way of putting it, um, especially as we go into the winter and you're thinking about keeping staff on board and all the restaurants want to keep staff on board before the holidays and um, throughout the course of this winter, which may be really tough on the restaurant industry. Um, I like what you said when people are looking for trying to look for solutions um, in addition to the restrictions. So still trying to adhere to the safety guidelines um, and keeping all the guests safe and having that be the top priority, but then also making sure that all of these people in the restaurant industry are going to be taken care of to get to the end of the pandemic as well. Um, and then uh, you've talked a little bit about um, how people can support with the outdoor dining and um, takeout. You mentioned gift cards. Uh, are there any other ways that listeners can support you and STL restaurants? I think the most important thing is, as I said, is, you know, support the restaurants that are doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's important because um, we are not looking for short-term solutions to a long problem. You know, we mm -hmm. get that this problem is around. I know that we're we're feeling the end coming, but we're still months away. Yeah. And so we're not looking for today's solution for, for, you know, this deal. So support the restaurants that are, that are following um, the rules, you know, don't, don't support bad behavior. Um, and I, I think that, you know, tip your servers, tip your servers as big as you can. And I'm not asking for you to go above and beyond your own means. Um, but, you know, there are, if you're eating out, you're probably not unemployed. Um, and if you can support your, your, uh, your, your waiters and waitresses and bartenders and um, whatever, do that, you know, um, that's super important. Absolutely. And any final words you want to share with our listeners? You know, I do feel like uh, as our country has been in a, in a huge divide for some time now, um, what an imperative time for us to come together and stop working as a divided group. And, you know, I get that we all come from different political sides and we get from, we, we end up on different sides of, of an aisle, but right now it's, it's a pandemic. There is no politics behind a pandemic. People are dying, whether you agree with it or not. The, the fact of the matter is people are dying. And what we need to do is we need to work together to support each other through this 
entire endeavor uh, so that as many people can get through it and we can get it done fast. Um, the longer we stay divided, the longer this is going to take place. And I, um, I hope that we all choose to be part of the solution and not the problem today. Mm -hmm. Well said, definitely something that we're all in this together. And as much as we look out for each other through this, the better we'll come out. Uh, thank you Absolutely. so much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Take care and thanks for doing this. Alrighty, big, big thanks to Aaron again for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll check out our show notes page for links to Aaron's restaurant brands and social media. And of course, you can find them on the free gift meal app and snap a photo of your order to give a meal to someone in need. Support them if you can, and don't be shy. Our guests love hearing from our listeners on social media. I know that's a lot to ask at once, but hey, you're still here, so please like and subscribe to this podcast to hear future episodes. Our goal at Food on the Table is to shine a light on the great people who are working hard to make this all happen. And if you know someone we should talk to, please send them our way at info at giftameal.com. Thank you so much and looking forward to bringing you in for future episodes.